0: What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We finally have it, our Coach Client Confidential with Joe Stanek. We haven't done one in a while. We are always really, really, really busy. We're especially more busy since we first started these Coach Client Confidentials, but this is a good one, Um, probably the most interesting prep of my career, and I got him in person. He's actually sitting next to me right now. I'm doing the intro before the show, I usually do it after the show, so uh, hopefully we can get this episode out quicker now. But yeah, the most interesting meet of my career and a W was at the end of it, so we're going to have a really good conversation. I don't know how the conversation goes. I can't tell you that because we're about to do it right now. Um, before we get into the podcast, I'd like to remind you guys to go to leftflowerbros.com and get yourself the best merchandise in powerlifting. Use that promo code 2WL15 to save yourself some money on some Leffler Bros. merch. Look good in the gym, look good outside the gym with Leffler Bros. Also, if you're looking to subscribe to Two White Lights, go to Spotify, leave a 5-star rating there. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a 5-star rating and a review. And of course, go to twowhitelights.com, you can subscribe there. And you can get some Two White Lights merch, use all of our athletes' codes. We've got some stuff available for you guys. Make sure you guys are going to twowhitelights.com. And without further ado, here it is, Two White Lights. Yeah, just saying something gets a person. Oh, baby, I like it, boy. Yeah, baby, I like it, boy. Oh, baby, I like it, boy. Yeah, baby, I like it, boy. Shimmy,
1: shimmy, y'all, shimmy, you shimmy, yeah. Give me the mic so I can take her away. Off on a natural crossbow for voyage. Year from the home of the Dodge of Brooklyn Squad. Who take the hubby zone to swamp? Rain on oh, the college ass, just don't come. But you
0: didn't even to touch my skill. You got to go to one killer,
1: and he ain't yeah. got to kill down.
0: Chop that down. That's all around. And as promised, I got with me Joe Stanick, holder of a couple national champions now.
1: Yeah. Dang cool. <laughs>
0: How are you, man?
1: I'm good, dude. I' uh, if I'm being honest, I'm still kind of still kind of coming down from from nationals a little bit. you know life's life's been pretty crazy in general so to to have that dropped in when it was dropped in as far as as life goes was just a wild ride. It was a really great week for
0: obvious reasons. yeah. Um, but yeah, you know we're out here doing our thing. Yeah, I'm glad you're here for the in-person interview. Um, and I would say game day had a fantastic week. That was, I mean, second to me, winning was just seeing everyone else have a fantastic meet. Uh, we had Juliana Juliana Iorno, Austin mm-hmm. Perkins, Dan Clements,
1: and uh, and JJ Jalen Falk. And
0: JJ Falk. So a lot of national champions, a lot of gold, and also a lot of podium finishes. Well, I was I was happy to see that because I like the team aspect of powerlifting. Obviously, an individual sport but I think the conversation was so centered around Marcellus, mm-hmm. and I love Marcellus, but at the same time, we're competitors. I'm like, I think we had a better showing on the men's side, so I'm just going to ride with that. Like, And that's cool because people are like, yeah, he's has the most stacked roster ever. Yeah. He has tons of national champions, but we had a very good showing on the men and uh, women's side, so I was, I was pumped about that. Yeah, yeah,
1: I, I think... The, the most painful thing is, is when Steve put the stats together and I saw that we lost, by two points to Craft mm-hmm. as far as, like, who would have taken overall team. Um, so that kind of makes, like, the last day particularly sting because two really close calls in terms of Keenan and Bam. Yeah. You know, if, if either one of them would have gotten that, we, we would have been in a position where our team would have been first. So that that would have been kind of cool. I mean, I guess it wouldn't have mattered either way. Because uh, we didn't actually officially register a team, yeah. um, but next year for sure
0: we will. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, it was close, regardless, and because everyone thought it was gonna be a cakewalk. I'm like, halfway through, as soon as when we had our sweep on day two, I'm like, actually, I think we can we can do this. And that was uh, that was a little extra element of nationals I was paying attention to because I was I was really watching uh, Juliana and Dan closely. Um, especially Dan. I, my, my heart was kind of beating out of my chest on his first deadlift um, and really <laughs> wanted to see him. I'm like, please don't happen again. I think I mentioned on the recap show, I'm like, please don't do it again. But Matt's Matt, Matt's guys and girls showed yeah. out that day. So yeah, great week. For game day, really good to see. Got a lot of good lifters on the come up. But this is Coach Client Confidential with you and I, Mm -hmm. where we usually go through the program leading up to nationals, the performance, and then what we're going to do afterwards. And I don't think it's going to be as technical this time, simply due to the fact that I don't know if I can honestly go through our program and have like a summed up conclusion on what we did because it was a mess for a lot of it oh yeah and it was a lot of pivoting a lot of phone calls a lot of changing courses it it was a lot so i don't even know how to like go through it in a good timeline
1: yeah i mean i think so obviously we are technically missing one voice in this conversation and that's mr john song who i think you and i both have a lot of thanks to give to
0: we should have flew him out for this for sure Uh, if if, if there was something to fly him out for it's this because Yeah, he was pretty much spearheading a lot of those conversations. Um, Typically, you and I don't have long Zoom conversations about programming. We have, like, one, Mm -hmm. and then that's about it. This go-round, I think we had about, like, three. Yeah. Three 40-minute Zoom calls, and then John kind of taking the reins on pretty much all of them. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. So, yeah,
0: so for those that aren't
1: familiar with John, um, he's, I would say – It's fair to say he's kind of one of the go-to guys in in powerlifting rehab these days. Um, So he's a physical therapist, and he does some powerlifting coaching uh, himself. And I've actually known him for a a super long time. Um, I went to school in upstate New York, and so did he. So we've kind of been familiar with each other for a while. I've handled some of his athletes before. Um, And, yeah, so I think a good place to start, Ang, would probably just be, like, maybe some background on the injury. Because I I think that's – I mean – I, I think everybody who's listening to this probably knows, like, you were dealing with something, but a lot of people don't necessarily know, like, the details of what was going on with your back and, you know, a lot of stuff like that. So maybe maybe, maybe just the background yeah. on that would be a good place to well, start. Well, yeah,
0: because I think it was bought up on the Arnold preview show. Right. That I was going through some mid-back pain, and it was pretty much every squat of that prep hurt uh, for about six weeks, but it was something manageable where I can still squat. Right. And still so squat heavy weight. It just when I would rack the weight, it would hurt something bad. And then it got better when we tapered off. But I think we were about three weeks in to our post Arnold block, and something happened on that day where it just got tweaked, and I couldn't move. I could barely. I mean, when I say I couldn't move, like I legitimately couldn't bend over to pick things up, and it was my mid back. Um, so it wasn't lower back. A lot of people thought it was my lower back. It was my mid-back and getting in the car was painful. Sleeping in bed was painful. Um, and that lasted for about a week of just pretty much most movements hurting and then slowly trying to get back into the gym. And then that's where you saw a lot of that video that I posted was one red, one week, two reds, another week. Talk to John. Seeing how we can change some things made a lot of technique changes, um, and during that period, it was like eight weeks. I want to say of us just getting to like a four hundred thirty pound squat, like a five hundred pound deadlift. Bench was somewhat okay. I think we could still yeah, work into like a one sixty range. Right. Um, it just a lot of strength was lost, and then kind of re getting reacclimating to weights and being like twelve weeks out from competition is where we started to pick up the intensity again and I think it was clear strength wasn't quite there. I think we still did a good job of really hammering in the accessories because that was one of the big points that John was making was like leg press up to RP9, Mm -hmm. RP8. Just keep on doing reps until you hit an 8. We got to really hammer this stuff home because you can't squat as much, and we need that volume. So we got to do that, and we had to put on on some mass and hopefully uh, didn't lose that much strength in my lower body, but... Yeah, it took a while. I remember the 300-kilo triple that I did on deadlift felt like an RP10. And I'm like, how am I going to win nationals right. with this? And I think at that point, we just started 12 weeks out. And then I re it mm-hmm. just as bad as the first time. And we needed more talks on that, more pivoting. I don't know. It felt like even prior to that happening, we had about like two pivots prior because I just wasn't feeling it on my, any of my lifts. And it, it felt like my one at max was greatly reduced and lost a lot of strength. So yeah, I mean, there's,
1: there's a lot of points that I could hit there. And what you just said, I mean, I think the first thing is the original thing that aggravated your back in general was us just trying to kind of pivot your strategy a little bit to be a little bit more peaking friendly. Um, you and I kind of talked um, after the Arnold, and one of the things that we've kind of consistently been having problems with is, like, your squat will be doing really, really well in training, and then on meet day it's just a little flat. So we had played around with, messing around with the week, and one of the things we were trying was, like, a primary SBD day at the end of the week. And I remember very specifically, I was at high school nationals when that originally... That first flare-up happened, and I remember you texting me, and immediately I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> it's, this is not good. Um, I lost some sleep that night for sure. Uh, but luckily, yeah, through a lot of what you know, John brought us through, we were able to make some edits. And I, I guess because we always kind of use these shows as a little bit of a way to kind of educate the people that are, are listening a little bit. we One, we never really formally established what your back was actually doing John mm-hmm. gave us some theories, but he was like a diagnosis isn't super duper important. It's just a matter of adjusting things and making sure that, you know, what you're doing is tolerable. And li- like you said, kind of focusing a little bit more on the, the, the mass of your muscles and ma- just basically making sure that everything wasn't completely detrained as mm-hmm. far as uh, what your body was doing. And that was kind of what the early stages were about, was just making sure like you had muscle mass, like strength technically speaking, isn't one quality. It's a combination of several qualities. And since we couldn't influence the actual movement part of it under like loads that are actually heavy, the next best thing was do as much as you possibly can and then make sure your muscles are strong. So that's kind of what those initial stages were like. And like you mentioned, I I think the first thing that I kind of was looking over your program and made note of is, yeah, we made a lot of changes to your split over that time too. Um, the big thing was we were still kind of trying something where your days were kind of a little bit different from what we've done successfully in the past, um, simply because you're just trying to make it so that it would be a little bit easier for you to peak. Um, and also just to kind of separate the fatigue a little bit so you could recover best. And ultimately, through a little bit of trial and error, we ended up with this split that kind of puts your primary squat at the beginning of the week, which um, we've done before, but I still think is kind of unusual. But that that ended up uh, working best because it gave you the most rest possible. Uh, Would you say that it's fair that squat was probably the thing that hurt you the most
0: overall? It is hard to say um, because I tweaked it doing deadlifts. Right. It was like this original – tweak that happened within the same week where I had that main SBD day where it really did me in where I couldn't like move. Mm. There was about three days before that where high rep deadlift day, just I felt something strange and then it was kind of uncomfortable on bench press. Then it got progressively worse. So I would actually say deadlift, but I think squat was the cause of it. Okay. With um, that really big. And I think we go to technique changes later, but I was doing that pre hinge right. uh, movement that I think led to the injury when I was in Arnold prep um so I think dead, deadlift towards a, a time that was causing the most amount of pain just because I think the the video about seven weeks out where I couldn't do two reds and I, I remember doing what I remember doing one red prior um and I never do one red I never start off with one red and I did it for five reps and it was painful. I don't even know why I did two reds after that. It's like, well, let's see how it feels with two reds. And I did one rep, and I'm like, I can't pick this weight up. And just getting into that position was painful. Um, and then that's when things would lock up really bad. It would seize up, and it would take a while for just me to be able to get up at a appropriate speed and move, like, where I'm not, you know, a 95-year-old man with scoliosis. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean,
1: I think... The, the treatment of deads over the course of our prep, yeah, you're I mean, you're probably right in that it was the lift. I mean, it, just think about it, deadlifts, you know, they involve the back to a certain degree. Yeah, regardless. and mid-back too. I think
0: the way I was deadlifting, I mean, it could be a combination of those two. I think the way I was deadlifting, if you go back into videos of the Arnold prep, the way I was deadlifting for that was a lot of strain was being put on my mid-back. Right. A lot of it. And I think
1: I think that ultimately the reason why we ended up with the split that we did was because of one, the prior data that we had kind of showing that, you know, the squat towards the beginning of the week can work, but also typically, like, we would see if you did your heaviest squat and then went to to pull, um, normally those two things would really interact a lot as far as increasing pain outcomes. So the way that we had the split ultimately set up, it kind of separated the heavy squat from heavy deadlift enough mm-hmm. that you, you weren't getting that irritation. You were actually able to kind of stack the pain-free sessions um, over time, and that's luckily what ultimately led to, at least in my opinion, the success of you actually being able to, to get to your all-time strength levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the way that this split kind of compares to everything, um, our deadlift days are a little bit closer together, which is something that we can talk about. Um, and your primary deadlift is at the the end of the week, whereas traditionally we've always had it kind of at the beginning of the week. Um, so now it, it's almost kind of reverse of what we've done in the past, mm-hmm. where primary deads are at the end of the week and primary squats are at the beginning of the week. Um, and that's, that's ultimately the formula that allowed you to train the most pain-free and what we're still kind of running with at this point in time. Yeah. Um, the other big thing that over the many pivots kind of stayed consistent is we've just kind of avoided high rep stuff on both, whereas we've done that in the past. Um, and, and John's thought on this is just over time, the technical drift that comes along with doing more sets um, is something that was ultimately, you know, irritating your back more and more. And I think that ended up holding true pretty consistently. Like whenever we would try to do something, you know, for more than say, I think the most we did during prep was maybe six reps total. Um, any Anything beyond that, and there was a, an increased uh, increased likelihood that that set would irritate your back Mm -hmm. compared to when we did just less reps and and more sets. Um, and I, I mean, I think that just kind of makes sense in general with, you know, what we've seen with your technique where, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll kind of see at the, the end of your sets, that'll trail off, you know, you'll, you'll have some kind of technical drift when we get into that, you know, seven plus rep range. So, Mm -hmm modifying your training so that we're just never touching that period, I think was, was a a good change and something that ultimately helped with load management too, which is another big kind of paradigm of, of injury management is just making sure that an athlete's actual like load on their body over the weeks and months doesn't get too high. Um, And so I, I think like, again, most we really touched on the low body lifts was like five and six reps and, um, in some cases we were doing more sets, like with deadlift in particular, we were doing more sets than squat, which I think is a little bit unusual, but mm-hmm. it's something that ended up working out. Um, and ultimately I, I think it's amazing to me to see the turnaround we had after that second irritation in about six weeks, we were just yeah. back at well, peak strength.
0: Yeah, that, that was, that was kind of the key of the entire program or the entire program going up to it. And it was a lot of changes, um as far as programming goes, but also just kind of a mentality thing too. Um, I think it'll be a good time to transition to like that. I think like that is kind of the, I uh, the main part of a podcast, I guess, like where uh, I, I, I would say it's the most interesting was about six weeks out was the, uh, the irritation where I wasn't able to do two reds on a deadlift. Um, we tried high bar squatting and that, I mean, we're not even mentioning that. I mean, we have so many things. Like, we're going to forget. We tried to high bar squat just for my second squat day so we can reduce some of the inflammation that possibly happened. I think that actually made it worse mm-hmm. because high bar squats start to really, really irritate the mid-back rib region where I think low bar just actually felt better. Um, and that day, I couldn't do, like, three reds. I think I did three reds for, like, four reps and I had to rack it and... Everything stiffened up again. I wasn't able to bench that day. Um, and it was after that week. Like that week, had a weekend, to kind of recover, wasn't fully recovered on the Monday. And that was the lift where it was my heaviest squat day. We were probably, we were hopefully going to work up to a 270 to 280 range. Um, and that was clear it was not going to happen. Like as soon as I started taking that squat. And that workout, I, it just sticks out to me the most because I had to, John was, I was constantly messaging John, constantly messaging you, and I'm like, I can do the motion on squats, on racking is hard, initially going down to my squat is hard, and then re-racking it is hard, but I think the most pain I feel is when I sit down, and I get up, and I take off my belt, and then John was like, okay, well, try not to sit down, don't take off your belt the entire time, and don't, put your head down. Like when you look at your phone, just lift your phone up. Or I think you said, lift your phone up where it's facing your face. And don't look down at your phone. So the entire squat workout, I didn't sit down. I did. I try not to move my head at all. I try not to bend over to pick anything up. I was just sitting straight the entire time, changing the weights. That was painful. And I'm like, I don't know if this is sustainable <laughs> i don't know if i can go about life just never taking off this belt and not bending over to pick things up and i was able to squat 260 i was able to do my back off sets everything hurt and i but i still didn't sit down didn't put my head down didn't put my head up just kept everything neutral and when i was done with the last set i took off my belt and then everything after that hurt and i couldn't even get on the bench um, I tried to put my feet down to get leg drive and I couldn't do it. Like I was completely flat back on my bench and I'm like, I, I don't know if I could bench today. And we made the change that week of starting off with bench mm-hmm. and then going to the other movements, which helped, I think, um, we, and that was another, that's a big programming thing up until I think that final week, yep. we always bench prior to squat and deadlift. Like no matter what we were always bench process because we were seeing actually good which is the most ironic thing because that was the lift that failed us on meet day. And we're seeing the most progress on bench, I think. I think the confidence was never higher. And it was obviously the biggest concern was squat and deadlift. Like, right. can I squat and deadlift to these guys? Because actually, if we could take this bench in there, it would be in pretty good shape. Yeah. If we can have squat and deadlift uh, round us out. And yeah, of course, it didn't work out that way. But we'll, we'll um, talk about that. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll get to that one. And then I, I, I go through... Uh, week of training i think that's when we incorporated those full resets mm-hmm. which helped i think and but that that deadlift session was really rough there was points where i couldn't i couldn't budge like three reds and then i was able to go back and do it and hit three reds again same thing don't take off the belt don't sit down stay everything keep everything neutral be slow with everything be really deliberate and within that week i had a bachelor party and I had to go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, this story is just going to amaze people. I mean, honestly, when you
1: like when you told me about that, obviously I'm not going to be like you have to skip it. But in my, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh man, travel, you know, drinking, like this this is yeah. like we're, mean, already, it's, it's we're already it's all the worst things. Yeah, exactly. We're all we're already in the in the soup as far as like you feeling terrible, training just being inconsistent. I'm like, oh, this is only going to make things worse and
0: then yeah yeah so that that, that week was it was pivotal um and it was funny cuz i had a conversation with petrie like right, right before i did it cuz i was like this is this is bad timing and this is my and I'm, this is my brother's wedding this is my brother's bachelor party which i'm best man to so i have to go and there's no way of getting out of it. And I don't want to get out of it. I'm like, I, I, we've been looking forward to this forever. Like, we really wanted to go. We're going to Toronto. We're going to watch a Cubs-Blue Jays game. We're going to have a great time. All my family's going to be there. And I don't see them as often anymore. But, um, yeah, so we go to Canada. Oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I saw Petrie in the gym. I tell him, like, yeah, man, I'm like, I had to go to Canada. I'm like, I, I haven't had a drink in about five weeks. I'm like, or I had about three drinks in five weeks. Like, I, after the injury, I was, like, the only guy to, like, get upset and depressed and kind of get down in the dumps and, like, not turn to to that in order to pick my mood up. And same thing with smoking cigars. Like, I I stopped doing that. I was down to, like, again, like, two in, like, five weeks. And I'm like, now I'm going to have to go and do all that stuff. And right when I'm trying to recover, because I was thinking that I don't know what's causing stuff. But I'm just gonna cut out everything that's possibly causing injuries. Right. I'm just gonna cut out everything. And Petrie was like, maybe that's what you need. Maybe you just gotta go back and do that stuff. Maybe you just you're gonna have a fun weekend and you'll be fine. And I just thought I'm like, what a what a load of shit. He just, he, <laughs> he just he's just telling me to make me feel better because he's a nice guy and he sees how like depressed I am and me kind of talking to him at that moment, like, dude, if this doesn't get better within this week, I'm dropping out. Because I don't know if I can total eight hundred kilos. And if I can't total eight hundred kilos, I'm you know I'm not even I shouldn't even be in prime time, right. and I was just at that point like I I shouldn't even be on the same stage as prime time. I'm probably gonna get like fourteenth or fifteenth. So, is it gonna be worth being in pain and getting not even close to a podium finish? And it was within that moment where I was like, just don't even focus on winning because I think for the for the longest time, I was going if I can't do this, if I can't do this weight, I'm not going to win. Right. And I think that mentality was setting me back where then I turned it into do what you can to compete first. And then after that, do what you can to compete for the top five. And then after that, if you can get within the top three, you have a chance to win. Right. So it was kind of this breakdown of things. (laughs) And also within that week, you gave a very good motivational talk to me, um, which I think is the first time you've actually kind of yelled at me Yeah, in our, in our entire coaching relationship. I don't think you've reprimanded me for pretty much anything. Um, I was really pissed off about that deadlift day. I felt I'm like I'm the weakest guy, not only in my weight class, but in this gym right now. Right. Like I, I'm like the weakest guy and probably like the third strongest woman. <laughs> In this gym, <laughs> because I can't, I can't deadlift two seventy five. Yeah, uh ki- pounds, not kilos. Yeah, yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't deadlift uh, two two reds. And I'm, and I told you, I'm like, this is embarrassing. And when I said it was embarrassing, you got to a voice memo, and you pretty much just told me one to suck it up. Essentially, you yeah. suck it up. It's like this happens, but you can't go into a meet thinking that you're an embarrassment and you can't be this caliber of a lifter thinking you're an embarrassment because you are one of the best lifters in the world. You are one of the best lifters in this weight class. You can win this weight class, but you can't win this weight class if you go about thinking like that. And you raised your voice and it was well said. It was a confidence booster and I felt good after that. Um,
1: I'm I'm glad to hear it, man, because in that moment, I don't know. anybody who knows me knows that I have a pretty even keeled temperament. Like, it, it takes a lot to get a rise out of me in general, um, and it, it was just one of those moments where, like, all of the the frustration that I was feeling with everything that was going on just kind of kind of came out. Like, I, I don't know. I'm very I'm a very stubborn person, and it takes a ton for me to like truly give up on something um and so not that you were actually saying that but the things that you were saying made me go okay mentally he's he's given up he like he needs he needs some strong words in that case and yeah i just kind of i just kind of let it flow mm-hmm. like i i said you are angelo fortino one of the strongest lifters in the world and you need to act like it and uh i don't know i'm i'm glad i'm glad that it it really like spoke to you, yeah, because I I felt like <laughs> you definitely needed it. Well, yeah, and
0: that that was the moment where I'm like, just go and compete, like get yourself healthy to compete because it's nationals, a meet that you love. You're in prime time, thing that you wanted to do since you know you saw it in 2019, and you're one of the kind of the headliners of uh, prime time. It's like you're a contender. It's like you can't really miss this opportunity. So do what you can to get healthy and do what you can just to compete. If you don't win, well, you never won before, so. It's not like you're missing out on anything. Right. Um, and yeah, and that is the change of mentality happened within that week. Petrie telling me, he's like, hey, go to Canada and have fun and do what you always do. Do it like, because he's like, you like you do that. You've done that before. Like you've done that for past comps where you did it really well. So maybe it'll work this time. And um, went to Make Your Mark Fitness on one day. And that first workout in uh-huh. Toronto was not great. It was pretty painful still. Uh, it took me a while to get through my squats Took me a while to get through my bench. Accessories happened at a horrible capacity. And I didn't care because immediately after, I was just excited to get the workout done so I can go to the Airbnb and hang out with my family. And we went out, went to get some Italian food, really good Italian food in Toronto, uh, big Italian population. Came back to the house. We were playing drinking games. We were playing three man, we were playing 81, we were playing cards. We were, you know, throwing around drinks the entire night, smoking cigars. I get to bed at about two a.m., three a.m. I wake up at about six a.m., seven a.m. to go and work out, and I felt fine. I felt it was a little, still good amount of pain, but I felt the same as I did the day before. Which, I'm like, okay, well, we're gonna see. We're gonna see what happens. Like, at least th- things are getting worse, and I don't feel too fatigued. I, I don't feel, you know. Poorly or anything, and hit my bench. Of course, bench has been decent, so I wasn't really concerned about bench. My deadlift that day on the program, I think, it was anything over 300 kilos or 300 kilos to 310 was the top single. And I'm like, we'll see. You know, if I can get 300 kilos today, I'm gonna be very, 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 very happy with myself because that means we can take that and push it next week. Um, And changed my setup just a little bit where I didn't do the, I don't even know how to describe it on a podcast where I put my arms out. I would just kind of hip hinge into my deadlift and that was it. Mm -hmm. Keep my head straight. Don't look down. Did two reds hurt. (laughs) Did three reds hurt the same. Did four reds hurt the same. And I'm like, it's not getting worse. Like the, the pain's actually relatively consistent, but I can maintain my position. There's nothing that's really causing my deadlift to to falter right now. And put on five reds, deadlift stayed the same or the the pain stayed the same. And after that, I'm like, this is actually good. I'm like, we're 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 in the clear here because nothing is getting worse. And I'm at six reds. I the heaviest I done did that week was like, I think uh, it might have been two sixty. Yes. I, so we yeah, have it right here. You did yeah, two sixty. It might have been two sixty, and that was incredibly painful. So the fact that we're at a red. And it was less painful. I'm like, okay, this is a good sign. And um, I threw on 300. I'm like, okay, might as well just take that big jump all the way to 300. I did it. Felt the same thing as 606. So I'm like, okay, we're going 310 now. And um, the people in the gym, the you know the the owners of Make Your Mark Fitness, they were they were giving me some good words of encouragement too. It was just a cool atmosphere. It was just two three of us just in the gym and. Um, two powerlifting strangers, I guess, or three powerlifting strangers kind of hanging out, but... Ours universal language. Yeah, right? and they, um, I mean, they, they, they were awesome the entire time, but it was, like, funny. When you go into a powerlifting gym, you just... It feels like you know the person even though you don't. We never had a conversation on social media. They know some things about me. I kind of knew some things about them, and, yeah, it was, like we can talk about the same things and not be lost because that's how powerlifting works especially on Instagram and when you get into the gym I hit 310 and it felt fine and I was I was probably the most happy I've ever been in prep easily
1: you smiled more this prep than I think I've ever seen you yeah. smile even just in real life
0: yeah that was yeah that was I the the joy I felt in that moment for hitting 310 I couldn't have been more elated, I couldn't have been happier, and I think the setting kind of just helped, because I'm like, this has been a great workout, and right after this, we're gonna go explore Toronto, go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, we're gonna go and have just an awesome night with, uh, you know, my, essentially my best friends, my family, and I was kind of over the moon at that point, and you know, flying back to Houston that Monday, squats, I was able to take six hundred and things just things were on the uptick. Pain started to go away slowly. All the technique changes, John were telling me, started to click a little bit more. The the rehab movements started to really and we had we we did so many different rehab movements too. We I think we went through nine yeah. different ones. When people asked me like what rehab movements I was doing, I'm like, I really can't even tell you because one I don't know what they're called, and two i we we switched so much of them, so like if I'm switching them, I don't know if you would have to switch them as well because we had to, and it was after that where I'm slowly built my confidence up. I was already felt like I won like four or three weeks out, even though I didn't step on the platform because I'm like if I get to compete, if I get to go to the top three, if I just go and Put myself in a battle, that's a victory. Right. Because I was thinking about dropping out of the meat three weeks ago, and now I am just happier to hit weight again. And tell you what, I'm never going to be the neurotic, stubborn guy for overshooting an RP-8 anymore. (laughs) Like where I would get pissed off and throw my belt and get pissed off and, you know, have that – glare on me and somebody compliments me and I'm like, eh, I don't want to hear it. I don't think that's ever going to happen again because it could be a lot worse than overshooting an RP8.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that whole last period of time that you just spoke about just kind of speaks to how big the mentality game is in powerlifting. Like, obviously, the, there's not an exact science to something like that, and it just kind of comes down to – you know, the way you're really thinking about things truly does make a difference. I mean, it can make a difference even in your recovery. And yeah, sure. Maybe, you know, going out and having drinks with your family and traveling isn't necessarily like on paper, the greatest thing that you can do. But in my opinion, it ultimately ended up being what you needed. Yeah. Just like Petrie said, because it it gave you the chance to kind of relax a little bit, right? Which let's face it, especially when you're feeling pain outside of the gym, it's kind of hard to not be thinking about yeah. that all the time.
0: Yeah, and that's and that's another thing that I I realized and it getting hurt took a big shot at my pride and my ego. Mm-hmm. Because I always prided myself on not getting hurt. Right. I always thought that I am so consistent in the gym. I never miss my workout days. I do whatever my program. I don't deviate from that. I and I see a lot of other lifters get hurt, and I'm and good lifters get hurt. And I'm I'm I've never really had a setback, and I've been in this sport for a long time. This is my seventh year powerlifting, and I can't think of a major setback that I had. I don't even know if I had minor setbacks. And when I when that did happen, it took just a shot of my ego, shot my pride of like, oh, maybe I, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. And and then with that too you have that going on in your head but then also you go into the gym and not like it yeah and i know people always say you know you're supposed to enjoy going to the gym and i totally agree i do enjoy going to the gym but you can't tell me that people enjoy going to the gym when they're constantly in pain and everything they do in the gym is painful and you can't hit the numbers that you want to hit you can't even really progress you have to do this really l- s- slow progression block up to somewhere close to your one or max and even that's painful then you get hurt again and going into the gym is painful then you leave the gym and you feel the pain that's not enjoyable you, i don't know a person in the world who enjoys that and i definitely didn't so i was the entire time like i've want to be healthy again just so I can lift weights. And I don't care if I take a little bit off my squat and deadlift. If that has to happen, I just want to enjoy going to the gym again because I did not enjoy it. I, that was the only time throughout my powerlifting career where I was at work and I was not looking forward to going to the gym. I was actually kind of dreading it because I know more pain is going to happen if that happens. Yeah. I mean, I think,
1: I don't know, just to, to speak for some some personal experience here, um, at least in my much more mediocre powerlifting career compared to yours, uh, like, I had a lot of problems with my knees over the years, and that definitely made it super hard to, to get into the gym and be excited about what I was doing, um, and I think, ultimately, it's one of those things that being injured is, is almost like a weird gift when mm-hmm. it comes to powerlifting training, and... I don't know, to like just to hear you speak on that, it, it does kind of make me feel like you really are in a place now where, you know, no matter how good or bad training is going, I think you just have a new appreciation yeah. for it, and and I don't know, that's, that's good to hear, and I think it's something that probably, you know, whether you're a new powerlifter or a seasoned veteran, a lot of people don't necessarily have sight of that, and it's important to remember that that Is something that not everybody gets all the time.
0: Yeah. And you need those, you, yeah, you need those distractions too. Because now that that happened, I can probably laugh off an overshot single where I would always, if I overshot something or didn't execute the way I wanted to, I'd always get into the thought of, well, this is not going to be good enough to win your weight class and accomplish your ultimate goal, that your ultimate goal, which I'm getting closer to. Every workout I'm getting closer to it. Every rep I'm getting closer to it. And if I misexecute execute a rep, that's like you can't you can't have this keep happening. But now I could probably laugh it off and it'll probably put me in a better position because that rep is not going you completed the rep, even if you failed the rep, it's not competition. You can get it in the next week or you can make some improvements and you can probably just laugh it off. And I and taking that and combining it in with what I experienced just going to Toronto, kind of just loosening up, going to Toronto, this is loosening up other assets in my life too, because after that I'm like, I'm just going to live my life. Yeah, I'm not going to put off things. I'm not going to live like a monk because I never did that. Right. I never really did that anyway. So stop thinking that you need to do that. And when I gave myself a little bit more distractions, because I wasn't thinking about powerlifting at all throughout the weekend. I hit my list. I was incredibly happy. Met some great people at Make Your Mark Fitness. If you guys are in Toronto, make sure you guys go to that gym. Um, And then after that, it was no powerlifting talk at all. We went to the Hockey Hall of Fame. We went to a bunch of uh, bars in Toronto. We went to the Cubs-Blue Jays game. And powerlifting wasn't a discussion. Yeah, It was nothing I was thinking about. And I think I kind of needed that because I was so hyper-focused on this is the goal. 28 or 2021 you got third. 2022 you got second. The goal now is first. You have to get first. And I think that I don't want to call it a try hard mentality, but I think I got I, I never did that. I right. never had that. I was always just happy to be there and I think I just still got to make continue that mentality and that actually helps my competitiveness. I agree. If I'm just a little less cerebral about things, yeah. I mean,
1: I think let's you know, let's be straight. You you've kind of always been somebody that you're you're looking at a lot of the the little things, you know. Like when we talk back and forth about your lifts, like oftentimes you know you'll point out certain things and not always be the happiest with them. At least you know you you used to be that way, and I, I think at this point you. For the most part, are are you know a little bit more analytical rather than just being like attached to something that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, a bad lift. Um, and I think that this prep has kind of kind of taught you that, and I'm I'm really happy about it. But yeah, I, I think just to speak to like a larger concept, I, I think what you're talking about here makes well should make anybody more competitive, right? Like when powerlifting is your whole life and that thing is not going good your whole life is going to feel terrible and it's just going to be one endless cycle of powerlifting is not going good. Life is not good. Powerlifting is not going good. Life is not good. Um, whereas now I I think, you know, the importance of separation as far as your life from powerlifting. Um, and I think that that, as you said, is going to make you a better competitor. I think more importantly too, it's going to put you in a better position going into competitions because you're going to be less worried about winning and more so about just being in the best position to execute. And ultimately I do think that's what one, I mean it's not even, a think it is what won the meat for you was, yeah. was being in the best possible position to execute. And honestly not even just not being so emotionally attached to that end result. Yeah. Um, which I mean, again, something that that's not a new concept you know, a lot of people know that powerlifting isn't necessarily who is the strongest on the day, it's who executes. Um, but I, th- I think this is a perfect example.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and um I always, even... Because you kind of forget your own philosophies, too. Just in that... Um Because, yeah, I think I got caught up in it. I got caught up in a lot of what I should do or, you know, what's going to happen if I fall flat on my face. And I've... <laughs> I've told this to other lifters just to take my own advice. Like even if you suck. People are going to forget about it in a day and actually you're going to find out that people really don't care about you. People do not care how good you do. Or I mean they they care more about how good you do and less about how bad you do. True. Like they if you end up suck it say if I end up sucking at Raw Nationals that would be a really big afterthought because Perkins had an amazing day and so many people would be focusing on that as far as the grand scheme of powerlifting as opposed to me going five for nine or something. Like, no one will be talking about me going five for nine because something amazing happened that day. Sure. And that's what happens in powerlifting. And the same thing when you do good. I always told people, like, you got three days. You get three days to get all the comments, get all the love, get you know all these things, and then – Probably around that fourth day, it starts to go away and that adrenaline dump happens and you get the post-meets feel and then you're back into training. And I lost that because I'm just like, if I if I have a bad meet, I'm just going to hear about it until the next one. I'm going to keep hearing about it. And I think I wore the Arnold loss hard. A little. And I shouldn't have. It was just so stupid to even take that ho- loss hard because what was I even going for? I was going to try to get a record from Russ, and I, I didn't I knew I was going to get that within my squats. I wasn't thinking that I was going to win. Yeah. I was, of course not happy to lose out on four, thousand dollars, but I got a thousand dollars. Yeah, so I shouldn't even warn that loss hard. And then also when you look at, no one was saying negative things.. Yeah. No one was uh criticizing you for the meat and even if they do criticize you. It doesn't really matter because I care. I don't care about too many of people's opinions of me, so yeah. It, it was just a very. I think after the Arnold, I got into a weird mentality, and it took me a while to get out of it. And uh, I think, yeah, the injury might have actually helped me get out of that because I think that uh, that mindset going in the preps is gonna help, especially now that I'm you know in in my thirties. Yeah, and it's gonna slowly get getting harder, and I'm gonna have to find just the joy in going to the gym and competing, as opposed to being so hyper focused with records and championships and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean. I, I will
1: say, statistically speaking, most male powerlifters uh, do peak like closer to their mid-30s than their early 30s. If mm-hmm. you look at the statistics of like all the open IPF world champions or open USAPL national champions, on average, I, I believe peak age is about 34. Yeah. So, you know, we got we got a long time before we really need to worry about that. But again, I, I, I do think that's a good place to, to, to come from when it comes to Every prep that you do from now until you're no longer able to touch a barbell, um, I think the other thing too is that it, when it comes to like every competition that you do from now on, it, it really will be from this place of I'm I'm kind of here to to beat myself more than anything else. You know I'm 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 here I'm here to. Work and put myself in the best place I can possibly be rather than just getting trapped in. I have to win, I have to
0: yeah, win. Yeah, and I don't know. I think a lot of people listening because I don't know. I, I often make jokes. A lot of powerlifters got so cut up in the last dance documentary that it made it their identities. Um, but it's that's not the, like I, I wouldn't say it's I'm focusing on beating myself and all that. Like a lot of powerlifters go to. No, you're still there to compete, it's just if you don't do well. Get him the next time. Yeah, it, it you and it's going to make you better competitor losing, and it's something to be okay with. I know, you know, Michael Jordan didn't say that because I think um, a lot of lifters my way class think they're Michael Jordan all of a sudden. <laughs> and I, I it's I know I know he didn't say that. I know that's maybe not Mamba mentality and all that. Uh, but you know what? Like in in that time where those Michael Jordans and Kobe Bryant's, there's still Shaquille O'Neals. True. Who could handle a loss pretty well. And it was Charles Barkley's who can handle losses pretty well. And there's NBA champions who could handle losses pretty well. Are they Michael Jordan's? Are they Kobe Bryants? No, but Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryants wouldn't exist if it wasn't for those guys. Very true. So I, I think having that I mean they're all and I I mean I know they took their losses well, but I'm just saying they didn't have that hyper obsessive mentality and that's you can be an NBA champion or you can be a powerlifting champion without the winning's the only thing anything less than that's a failure it's like yeah I agree like anything less than a failure especially in my position where that was the goal like that's the goal we set up ourselves for and that's the goal that I'm maintaining and that's something you and I do very well is hitting goals like we've hit every single goal that we've wanted since we started working together first goal national deadlift record Second goal, top five in the USAPL. Next goal, podium in nationals. Beat the podium from nationals, get second place. Then after second place is first. We have been on this nice little trajectory, and you still try to do that. And you know, it's we're hitting that, and we're hitting those goals. But you know, it's it's, it's okay to fall short because you get to go at it again. Yeah, yeah, and and I think.
1: That, again, speaks to the the typical, you know, colloquialism that gets brought up of it really is a marathon, not a sprint kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the things that breeds longevity in powerlifting in general. Like, I know it gets talked about all the time. There, how many junior lifters can you think of that have just, you know, completely blown themselves out just trying to yeah. push as hard as possible um, and you just don't see them on the on the platform anymore, whereas like with you, I mean even with this setback it you know it's been a, a, a slow grind upward
0: yeah, and it gives it gives you a lot of confidence too because you know say I'll use the example of just not executing a lift that I always beat myself up for. you know that you were able to get through a lot more and a lot more difficult things and if it's if it's not that like you can still make progress, right? If say it can happen, like missing a lift two weeks out from meat and say missing a squat, um, that's close to your winner at max. That can be a jarring thing, but that's not as bad as not being able to walk properly in the gym and pick up a pick up a plate and put on the bar without grimacing in pain the entire time. So that's that's a lot better. As long as you're healthy and you know, may you you're able to peek into the meets and you're maybe able to make some adjustments. You can change some things. And it's, it's a lot easier position to be in. So, because if I'm say, if I miss a squad going into any of these meets, it, I would view that as I'm just not going to win. That's, that's a nail in the coffin right there. Like, what am I going to do in order to get myself out of this? And yeah, it, it won't, it won't be that bad right. you know, going forward. There'll still be some disappointment. I'm still a competitor. I'm still a lifter, but it's um, it's it's simply and also just simply focusing on the task at hand, right? And that's competing against other people because going into this meet too, I was assuming I was going to compete against Russ. We knew actually a lot earlier than I think other people knew that Russ wasn't competing. We just kind of yeah. had to keep our mouths shut and um, just kind of know that. So yeah, that that changed some things um, with the prep. But, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I think I, I don't know. I, I think the the biggest thing with like Russ not being there, like sure it alleviates a little bit a a little bit of pressure too. But I mean, it didn't change the fact that we no you know
0: well yeah that's that's kind of the where I was getting at there. It's uh you, you the goal that day was competing against the people I was going up against. It yeah, was beating exactly. people I was going up against. I know that Russ isn't there. I know that. One, because personally, I don't consider Russ the best in my weight class right now. He's got to compete within the weight class. I consider Delaney the best guy in my weight class. Right. And I didn't beat him. I didn't, he wasn't there, obviously, but I didn't beat him because the goal was to get something over 835. If You don't get something over 835, I can't consider myself the best in the weight class. I know that. It doesn't really matter, though, because I'm focused on beating the guys on that day. Right. I'm focused on the goal at hand. When next competition rolls, rolls around, I'm focused at the goal hand, and I don't care about anything else aside from accomplishing my goal. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and
1: I mean, I, I think, you know, speaking of, of Delaney and, and Russ and uh, also your longtime rival, uh, Deuce, who wasn't yeah. there either, um, you know, we got some got some decisions to make, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I figured we were going to talk about this at some point or another. Like, you, you and I have discussed privately that, you know, uh, Russ and Delaney are the only two that you really haven't had the chance to, to beat. So, like, the question is now, I mean, I know what we're doing going forward programming-wise, but the question remains, you know, where are we competing?
0: Yeah, well, we're a little early on that because I I did want to get to the actually competition day, but we can we can talk about that now. But I, at this point, I'm still waiting. Yeah. Waiting for information, waiting for what I think is the best route to take. A lot of things have changed Um, in my powerlifting career. I am now a coach. I am, I I kind of announced it. I didn't mean to with my interview with uh, Devin Williams, but yeah, I coached the uh, high school powerlifting team. And we started actually the high school powerlifting team. It did not exist prior. Now it exists. Um, Yeah. Fighter powerlifters. We are full and we're fully into it. And now, of course, I put myself up for Article 14, which is awesome, because USAPL, Powerlifting America, granted, you can go kind of either way. Personally, I think USAPL is a better route for high school powerlifters. With and within Texas and Houston, there's a lot more meets for them to do, a lot more opportunities. Can still happen at Powerlifting America, but there's a lot of people in the USAPL who've helped me out. Yeah, of Um course. Who've reached out a helping hand in this and – um And, yeah, so there's that aspect. But, you know, you could kind of go different routes on that one. Um, Also, still just waiting to see what happens with the Arnold and see if some of that, you know, that Virginia pro money goes towards the Arnold, which will make the payout bigger with a roster that might yield a pretty good payday. Right. Um, And if I I do that, that is because I'm a – school teacher who (laughs) coaches powerlifting for free uh I think somebody made a funny asked me a funny question like if they gave you a $10 an hour raise at your school would you also teach and be a powerlifting coach I'm like huh I'm like well that wasn't even an option I do that for free but that sounds pretty awesome to get a raise on top of that so the answer would obviously be yes but that's not happening so you're just you're doing that as part for free and I don't know about anyone else, but $10,000 plus, I could always use. Oh, yeah. I could always take $10,000. Who wouldn't? Yeah, exactly. So there is that to think about. um, But you have to wait and see because if they make an announcement, then you have a bunch of people like, no, I'm going to stay in the USAPL, which is a lot of guys who should stay in the USAPL. Agreed. And I think that payday is going to be nice, and I think that competition is going to be nice for them. And going to Powerlifting America is just you're really competing for nationals. And it's, it's good to follow your goals, good to follow your passions. And that's kind of the dichotomy I'm at right now, too. I mean, I, I totally understand. But, um, yeah, $10,000 $10, plus, maybe more than that, is good. And um, I never had those big paydays like Petrie and Ashton and Perk uh, and Bob and a lot of those guys who are moving over. Like, I haven't had that that payday. So I can understand their part, but I I think other lifters will gain some sort of interest in saying in the USAPL, if the payouts got larger and there there's possibilities of that happening. Right. Um, But at the same time, $10,000 plus should be definitive, especially if I'm thinking about my powerlifting career, where I always thought that I would never get paid because I'm not on the untested side. Now, we're deal. We're, we have stuff on the tested side that's, I think, better. Than, I would argue better than, yeah. than the than the untested side as far as payouts go. And that's, and people are opting not to take it, which is crazy. That's that's actually a great sign for the sport. I always found it funny because we actually have that now that people were clamoring about in like 2018 and 2019 that, well, why don't you go to the USPA? At least they pay their athletes. I'm like, yeah, why don't they? When when I was an idiot and. Thought that they paid everyone when really it was just John Hack getting paid the entire time, uh, because he would win all the competitions. It, it, literally. So, yeah, so it was it was like five people getting paid, uh, and everyone in the USPA were like, "Yeah, we all get paid." Like, no, you don't. <laughs> only only five dudes and five girls really get paid uh, for competing, and the competition is in Powerlifting America, and Delaney and Russ are the only two guys that I've gone head to head against who I have never beat. And it's cool to say because they're both world champions. And those are really the only two guys in the world who I faced straight up head-to-head and I have not beat them. And I really want to do that. I really would like to beat them because beating them means for a time period, I'm the best in the world. I know it's not at IPF Worlds, but I can call myself and I can be the best lifter of all time uh, total wise, if I beat those guys, if they push me to that and I'm able to best them on that day, that can happen. And that's been my goal in powerlifting since I got started. If you guys want to go back to a Two eye Lights episode, that was my goal, was to be, even if there's one day, the best lifter in my weight class in the world. It can be broken the next day. That's or when IPF worlds, because I think that kind of goes hand in hand, depending on who's competing
1: though. right?
0: Um, similar to this nationals. Right, it was a great win, but that's my goal. So it's um something that I'm still waiting because I think powerlifters are a little bit knee jerk and they they react really quickly to things. I don't want to be one of those guys. So still waiting. If I when I decide to do it, I'm gonna sign up for a meet, and you'll see what meet that is, and you'll know what federation that I'm gonna compete in. So yeah. And also, I want to say, Power of the America or USAPL um, hasn't treated me like a prized free agent just yet. So I've been yet to be flown out for a steak dinner. Um, yet to be, you know, are you still a weekend in Vegas? I just know. I'm just saying. I haven't. I haven't been treated like a free agent. And I. So I said unto my lights that after Nationals, I'm a free agent, and no one has really offered to sweeten the pot a little bit. So
1: as as long as they both follow you, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well yeah <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah power power Yeah that, that would be my first sign of interest from Power of the America if they follow me after this episode.
1: There we go. Yeah,
0: so that would not that's not a commitment from me, but it's something that's gonna sweeten the pot a little bit. And then yeah. and then also just the And there is one more thing with USAPL. I just like the USAPL. I know we criticize them a lot. And I know I don't see eye to eye with a lot of people who are in leadership, but there's a lot of people, because I have a respect for all of them. Sure. Because that's that's one thing that I think people forget. I have a great respect for everyone in the USAPL because they do in some capacity, some more than others, some do an amazing job of this. They try to make the sport go. And they try to make the sport compete uh, an avenue where you can compete at a really high level and a really fun level. And I have a great relationship with a lot of people in the USAPL. So my favorite people are in the USAPL who are referees, national referees, who you know I see them every single time I see them. We have great conversations, um, and that's really and that does fall on with everyone in the USAPL. With Power of the America, I'm sure they do have great people there. I just don't know them as well. So it is kind of a just a thing that I do have my friends in the USAPL as well.
1: And I think I think for my part on on this man it's gonna come down to you know whatever your goals are, are my goals you know and I'll, and I'll support you anywhere um, if it does happen to be in powerlifting America it might have to be uh, out in the audience with a whiteboard but or you know maybe a, a microphone in my ear I'll be holding up the, the playbook cover in my mouth yeah um, but whatever whatever it ends up being man is is all uh, I'll definitely just, you know, prepare you as as I as I always do.
0: Yeah, well, and the good thing is, what Arnold is a week before Powerlifting America nationals, so it's not like I have to really make that decision now. Um, True. But there is a point where I where I do like invites are probably gonna start going out for Arnold. Um, there's gonna be a limited amount of time to compete in Powerlifting America just within our area, I guess, because it's not like they have. Houston has, I think, a meet a month almost going to. Um going to the Arnold.
1: If I'm yeah, I think so. If I'm so,
0: and then in Texas in general. Like you're gonna have meets. Yeah. They can compete in, but Power of the America is just not quite there. I know they're having and they, they have that meet in November. Um
1: which we're, we're looking at maybe hosting one in January at game day. I I won't confirm that, but there's a, a chance we may have one then.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so there's there's a there's a lot of possibilities that can happen with this. So Going to be just going to play the waiting game, yeah. Um, if I stay in the USAPL, it's going to be out of my my respect for a lot of the lifters and a lot of people in USAPL. Also, USAPL Illinois has been just doing so good, and I'm so happy to see that. And the year that they really seem to figure everything out, it's like I go to another federation, so that'll suck. So, there's just a lot of things in USAPL that I really like right now. Um, in spite of a lot of people being very pessimistic of the USAPL. um, Part of me is becoming an optimist for for some reasons. And, uh, yeah, I I think it's because of what I'm seeing, like at least within my home state and, you know, some other stuff that could possibly be happening on the national level as well. Um, And, of course, a potential payday, uh, depending on how the roster looks. But if it's power of the America, strictly competition. It is... Solely competition to face. It's going to be the best lineup of eighty three kilo lifters in the world. Um, even if I don't go, it'll be Russ Delaney, Gruden, and probably others. Yeah, I I can't confirm who would go, but if those are the three guys, more people will follow, and that would be the best lineup of eighty three kilo lifters in the world. So, yeah, it's gonna be uh. It's gonna be something. I haven't actually gave it I, I, I've given it more thought this week. Because there was yeah. This week because at first I was kinda like not thinking about it. Yeah.
1: It I'm it's been more about like, you know, getting back into the groove of training and yeah. Um obviously we can talk about like the the, the day and the lessons we're taking forward, but you know, I, I think it's it, it just like with every meet, it it's more about just kinda coming down from whatever happens and getting back in that groove. It, it, it doesn't really, especially with you starting to coach the powerlifting team, like there's been a, a lot going on. Oh yeah, I'm I sure.
0: Like I haven't really been this week. I have get more thoughts. I think I am getting into more groove of just my own individual lifting, but I, yeah, after, after nationals, I, I took a flight to Houston seven o'clock in the morning. So I didn't sleep that night. We just won nationals. Me and lucky went to a bar I went straight to the airport. We were on a plane in Houston by about 10.30 a.m. So, and then after, I mean, and then I went to work on Monday. Um, And going to work on Monday, too, was actually pretty amazing because some of the the students did find the live stream. And I was kind of just walking into work, just regular work day, but students were, like, congratulating me. Like in class and stuff, and I'm like, all right, okay, that's it's actually pretty, cool. pretty awesome. Like, it was it was very cool to hear, like, they took notes on the meet and stuff and asked me a bunch of questions, and I think an a, a interest in powerlifting was gained, but it was actually funny to hear their observations, and I uh, actually really like what they saw on the live stream. Like, they, they thought it was really interesting and cool-looking, and those are high schoolers, and they're typically jaded, but they were, they were actually pretty uh, – Pretty psyched about it, and it was it was cool. Um, it it was it was cool to hear that, and it made me much happier to really do the powerlifting team now. Which we're we're having our practices before school. We're we're at Ironsight Gym in the morning. Got to thank Rubio for that; he's a good lifesaver. So I've been focusing kind of on that, and yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, I think again, just that alone speaks to the fact that. You know you're your whatever decision you do come to it's it's gonna be in service of what ultimately allows you to continue this great thing that you've you've started when it comes to your career and and given back to the sport in a lot of ways like obviously you do with this podcast and a lot of stuff like that yeah I, I don't know i think I think the biggest thing is just as you said uh competition will ultimately like. I feel like it'll always be there, yeah. you know? Um, so it, it's just a matter of, of going where that competition is for you. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't want to harp on that idea too long because I think you said it perfectly yourself. But Yeah,
0: well, I just got to look at it as it's a win-win no matter what. Exactly. I can't go in it with regrets. Like, it's a win-win. People are in your ear. Like, and they kind of say contrasting things. Like, well, you know, the USAP will always be there. I'm like, well, not if you... Don't get rid of Article 14. Like then I have to. Sh- that that's one of the because I I heard I I heard another podcast that does a used cars pitch for the IPF. Uh, seemingly every episode. But I'm joking, Ryan. You can you can say what you want. Um, but I heard that I'm like, wait, no. I'm like, if Article 14 gets removed, then yes. But the USAPL technically won't be there if I want to hop back into Powerlifting America within a year. It's it's the other way around. Powerlifting America will always be there if I decide to stick in USAPL because I don't have to face a suspension from the USAPL. I can just go to Powerlifting America whenever I want. But if I make a decision, I go to Powerlifting America currently as it stands, then no, I won't be able to go back into, I could go back to the USAPL, but won't be able to hop back into Powerlifting America, say, if something does happen. So, yeah, like a lot of people have been, and I see, and I see the growth in Powerlifting America. And there's going to be potential of a lot of great things. Um, starting with the social media page. Love the direction that's going in. but um, So, yeah, the social media page to, to start. And then, um, then the, 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 I mean, that November meet that's happening in TSS Houston, it's got such a stacked lineup of lifters. Yep. Um, Sheffield is going to be better this year, and it was amazing the first time through. Worlds is going to be better this year, especially from the American side perspective, because the Dream Team is possibly really getting together, and oh, yeah. it could be some great American dominance and some all-time performances. And The males yeah. are going to sweep.
1: If, if, if the right people come over there, I genuinely believe it could be a complete shutout.
0: Yeah. Um, on the men's side. I don't know about the female side, but on the men's side, yeah. So... There's a lot of great things happening there too, so Don't it's, it's a win-win. Win. Like, what's up?
1: The World Games. Don't forget the World. Yeah, the
0: World Games too, and I think Power of the America and IPF is figuring out. You need meets, just in the meantime from IPF Worlds and your national meets. Right. So there's there's gonna be more of that, and got to look at it as a win-win. But that Article 14 thing does kind of ruin it, um, and I think me and Steve are probably gonna have a episode just on our thoughts about that uh yeah i mean yeah about article 14 and just everything else that, that that's been going usapl rule changes too we'll go back into cynical two white lights and uh the pro negativity podcast because we've got a lot of pro positivity on this episode i mean dude honestly like as a fan of the sport i i just w- i want to see article
1: 14 go away purely because i want to see that schedule You know, like I want to see the lifters doing all these competitions because I think it would be the craziest competitive season of all
0: time. Yeah, and well, it'll personally I think it might be turned a little messy, but but here's my thing that I'm going like going back to: if Article 14 is removed, then why have the split between the USAPL and IPF? Yeah, because then it just makes. But actually, might be a better thing on top of that because. It igno- if you get rid of Article 14, I think it does acknowledge some of the stupidity from the IPF. And they have to kind of, yeah, it's dumb. We're allowing more people to compete. But then you acknowledge that, okay, you can freely compete in the USAPL. And the only reason why there's been a separation between the two has been because of drug testing on the local level. It had to be, what was it? I already forgot, even though it's the t- only thing w- we talked WADA WADA about compliant. 100% WADA, 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 WADA compliance yeah. or something. But, if you have that, then can't you be hundred percent wada compliant while having a pool of lifters it like and that I think it was what the u s a p l proposed, and then if you say no to that, it's like okay, then that's kind of weird because now you're getting mad about these drug tests from the local level just to make sure people on steroids aren't going to these local meets if you're the only game in town I don't know it that's that's where I'm like, yeah. Article 14 should go away, but then it acknowledges how stupid Article 14 is and how stupid the split has been. If you get rid of all of that, then, it's just, then it acknowledges a lot of um, idiocy in the sport, but we're, a, we're an infant sport, I think, and there's going to be a lot of idiocies. Yeah. Uh, babies aren't very smart. They're actually kind of stupid. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah, they're actually kind of dumb.
1: Um, I think with all that said, I think this would be a, a good time to kind of go through you know, meet day just a little bit, yeah. maybe, maybe kind of give a little bit of insight into ultimately what did end up kind of working a little bit and how we went about each attempt and yeah. what we learned going forward.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, one, I think the start is that was my first legitimate weight cut and I think it couldn't have gone any better. It was just a really smooth weight cut. I yeah. felt no, I, I was scared to do it cause I just didn't know how my body would react to it. And I don't, I don't know I think you just see and hear things from weight cuts and I think it's typically from people who make bigger weight cuts and I was like, okay I, like I, I think my strength number is gonna drop and it didn't feel like I did anything
1: yeah I mean so I, I think your weight cut so for, for those that like aren't super familiar with well I, let's face it pretty much everybody's familiar yeah, I think with most
0: the, of it, most people are
1: with the idea of a gut cut I think most people at this point. Thanks to your lovely co-host. Yeah. They, they, they know what it's like. Shout out to Steve's legacy being manipulating people's poop. Yeah. Um, the the one drawback to a gut cut that I think I've seen in a lot of lifters, and I think anybody who's ever done one, is that especially on squat, you just you don't feel quite the same because your stomach is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. In, like As far as the actual composition of food that's in there. So... When we were doing this cut, I really wanted you to be in a position where you were almost like, just basically there, you know, the morning of or at least close to competition so that you could have like a normal meal so that you wouldn't have that affecting you. Um, and it didn't exactly work out that way, uh, only because we were just kind of paranoid with the scale. Yeah. You know, it's, that was a whole, that was just a whole thing for a lot of people. Like the check scale didn't necessarily match up and just... A bunch of different. I also stuff think there. my
0: scale just sucks. I think if we get a better scale, it might help us a little bit because it was giving me different reads. Yeah, it wasn't consistent with the reads it was giving me. But at the same time, that day, like you wanted me to have a meal, I was so I was feeling so much better though comparatively to the Arnold. Yeah, where we had to cut out food, like or whatever, we stopped eating at like eight o'clock or something. And then we had to weigh in at four and I couldn't really eat or drink anything. The drinking part's big. And I think I was like a liter in to lights. Yep. And almost like another liter in water prior to stepping on the scale. And that will make me feel a lot better. Like I, cause I was going, I'm like, I'm not hungry at all. Like I am actually fine. I'm not like where the other, like where I couldn't have water. Just because it, it sits in you a little bit more you, and it's a little heavier. Like this guy, even though we didn't have that meal of food, we still had a pint of ice cream. Yeah, and we still had. I, I think we we're at like seven hundred calories on the day, but also a good amount of liquids in me. And mm-hmm. like this, yeah, this feels fine.
1: Yeah the the way that you got through this cut um, and a few others has kind of kind of changed my philosophy on weight cutting in general, and I think going forward with Everybody that have a, that I have a weight cut, I'm almost going to have them get to the point that you were at where we sort of make weight a little bit early and then we just control what's going in your body so that you just kind of float around weight. And, and I know a lot of people are concerned about with being like dehydrated for too long or, or, or stuff like that. But the thing is, is if you are reducing that f- like gut volume in order to get down there, you can just keep, you can keep hydrating and your weight's still going to be lower. It's still going to be around yeah. that area. So at that point, you know, as long as you're careful with it and you have a relatively accurate scale, you can hang out around weight for a little bit longer and your performance probably isn't going to be affected. And especially for people like yourself that are going to be competing like at night during prime time, I think that's a huge advantage being able to have something in your system rather than just sitting around all day. Yeah. Um, and I think that showed in, in the way that you performed um, just in general – I, I think that it ended up working out that way. And that's, that's just going to be our standard from, from now on. Cause I, I prefer to not have to, um, you know, just guess like how, how light you weighed in, like basically every other meet where we really haven't had to do a, a true weight cut. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I just think that as you become a more, you know, experienced lifter, not that you aren't already, uh, you're just going to need to cut to be competitive, you know, cause yeah. your competitors are. Um, And we had that, we had that talk after the Arnold too.
0: Well, yeah, that was, yeah, that was the thing. It's like, you're just the only one who doesn't cut and everyone else, even, even Lucky is a guy who is growing into the weight class. And now I think he's getting to a point where he's cutting, like all of us do it. So, and there's probably going to be, you know, one thing to help my bench. I mean, it's really going to help. I think my squat and bench the most. So yeah. Yeah. And even with that, it's like, there's no way it can have the same effect that it has on Russ or Jamar. Right. Like they have big weight cuts. Yeah, but look what they can do still. Like look like their totals. So yeah, it's uh, and then also I mean Noriega like historically, cut hasn't really affected him, and um, yeah, and also putting Delaney in the big cut category as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like they uh, the Sean Jin. I, I think I a lot from him, too, was...
1: Yeah, I think four kilos is what yeah, he said he cuts he, in the past, he, he, yeah a ton. Cuts
0: about, yeah, he cuts about four kilos, but also it just doesn't seem to have a big uh, effect. Oh, actually, the one, uh, two, two of uh, Jaren's uh, clients, Kyle DeLeon, mm-hmm. De Leon has a big weight cut, but he's one of those guys who doesn't take a lot off of his gym total to the meat. Right. Like, he's able to make jumps in his meat, ba- or gym best to his meats, and that's... So I'm like, if he can do it, and he's huge. Like, Kyle is. He's a big boy. He's big. He's, yeah, he's uh, yeah, Steve. He's like, whenever I see you spot him, it's like, I don't know how you guys are in the same weight class. Like, he, he you vanish, like, behind him whenever you spot him from the back. You, you so. should take that personally. Yeah. Invoking no. Michael Jordan there. Yeah. Well, like, I don't, I don't even know if I could. Could. I do. Like, I don't know if I could even get that big. He's yeah. taller, though. I just, he is I just, taller. He's he's a giant in powerlifting terms, but yeah, I think the weight cut went well. Um, I felt just comfortable competing, and I say yeah because kind of going into it. I mean, the big thing we didn't get to talk about it on the preview or the recap. I don't think was weigh-ins.
1: Yeah. And
0: I didn't real. I maybe this is just kind of not locked in because I was. I'm always pretty easy going during weigh-ins and. Um, you don't really get into that until like I say your first squat warm up or when you put on your singlet. Right. That's when you get into the the mood and kind of getting a little bit more cerebral, but I did not notice he wasn't there. Yeah. I didn't notice I know um Marcellus told us and I just didn't check my phone. Yeah. And I and I can't believe I didn't notice he was there because we were sitting there and I was just eating and we're talking to Joe Bornstein and Lucky. And then that's what they told me. And I like looked around like, oh yeah, he's not here. And they're like, yeah, he, he, he couldn't make weight. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's actually kind of big. I'm like that obviously opens up, but then it puts me like right in this thing. Like, oh, it's going to be really me and Noriega, which, you know, I was, I personally, I was really looking forward to competing with Jamar because I do think something was there, not as far as a, not as far as a rivalry, but going into the meet, I had a lot of people just not pick me to win, and it's not talk about two white lights. Kinglist didn't do a preview show, as expected, and I saw a lot of people just like put the things I was I was in the third with everyone. I'm like, I get it, totally makes sense, especially what they're doing and what Noriega is capable of doing and Jamar, what he did at Corrupted. But I'm like, I never lost to any of those guys head to head. Right. And I'm like, the fact that I never, I'm two and zero against both. And then if you count three and zero with formula meets, head to head, twenty nineteen, I'm just not gonna count because, obviously, they both beat me. Most people did that day. Right. Um, that was, but I, I was at a, uh, at. At disadvantage, I was deadlifting in squat shoes. um, and still out deadlifted everyone that day, yeah, um yeah. tired with Russ, but um, I like to think I won uh my body weight, yeah, I'm yeah. body weight, I guess, yeah, but yeah. um i I was like, ah man, beating the two guys head to head in competition at Daytona and at all other formula meets. And still being picked to lose against both of them, pretty convincingly from a lot of people, it did have me feeling some type of way. So, yeah, I was really looking forward to competing against Jamar because of that. And I think people were like, okay, he's number two. He's number two guy who's the next contender up. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I I mean, I actually got second place at nationals. Right. And no one's really <laughs> acknowledging that. and. Yeah, I was I was looking forward to the competition. Um some say it didn't happen, but personally I think it did. Yeah. That's a win. Yeah, it That's is. It's a win cuz he did go out there and try to lift and I think I would have beat him.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um I mean, Jamar was just kind of always the the X factor in general, like obviously he was putting up some really big gym numbers and you you really can't necessarily say how somebody who historically cuts so much is, is going to perform. Like, obviously, Marcellus, um, I always trust his, his work because he's very honest about where his guys are. Um, you know, and, and I would never write Jamar off. He's just, yeah. you know, he's he's No, no, yeah,
0: going into that meet, I'm, I'm like, he's definitely the guy to beat. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I agreed with the people who made those predictions. I just, yeah, it was a just the just thought of not losing to a person yet still being a pretty convincing I want to say underdog but people just not having you to win
1: a little bit of a recency bias I think in in terms of like all the all the impressive numbers he, he was putting up but yeah I think you know without getting too far to the the end result I mean we'll like I said we'll talk each lift but um you know I, I think yeah had jamar been there I think we still would have been on the on the money as yeah, far he as was, money.
0: and he, he, that's the other thing well then so like he was still there yeah, like he did put his lifts together on that day, and I was still kind of watching him. Like, well, if he goes off and he's like a kilo over or something, it it, it means something still. Um, but yeah, he did not have the best lifting day. I know his back was bothering him. Um, yeah, and then it led to just a really interesting group of competitors. Yeah, from there, and it was interesting, interesting to see how that all play out because. I'm used to competing against Nori, but then Chris and Lucky were the two guys that i I never competed against them, but they're a different type of lifter from Nori. They don't have the uh, the potential of like an eight fifty day like Nori could potentially have, but they hit their lips like, yeah. and that's something Nori traditionally can't do. Yeah. So, like, what you, you kind of had to look at both of them going throughout the day.
1: I mean, yeah. Well, obviously, like for those that don't know Chris um obviously I coach him too Mm -hmm. so in in the back of my head like I also knew the potential that that Chris had on the day um and I mean Lucky's an incredible competitor and I mean I think he he showed that like oh yeah he had a he had a great competition um but I mean as soon as Jamar didn't make weight in the back of my head I'm like okay honestly as long as Ange executes there's a damn good shot we walk away with Mm. this um you know, that's not to write off anybody who was competing, but like our, our, our well, odds were just, that. yeah, our odds were just drastically higher at that point. Like there was, it, it was really just about execution. I um, mean, and again, like I said earlier in the podcast, that's what it came down to, man, is, you know, like just to kind of start the the squat conversation. Um, you know, you, you, especially with Jamara, like you, you're the heaviest squatter mm-hmm. in, in the, in the class, which, uh, you know, of of all the things we've made improvements in over your career, I'm I'm pretty happy to say that we've we've put you in that position. Yeah, I
0: guess I mean just uh, I I'm not a deadlift hero anymore. Yeah, you're based, you're, based on Sean Ortega's video in 2020. Yeah, you call me a deadlift hero. I, I guess if you're ending off the uh, flight on squats, you got better at that other lift, huh? Yeah, yeah, you can,
1: <laughs> you can you can comfortably say it at this point. Um, but yeah, I think you know, obviously, like we talked about earlier, squats were were a very problematic. Lift with your with your injury, and we did kind of find that formula at the end where uh, one less day of squatting I think was a really big thing, and um, putting everything at the beginning of the the week as far as your your squat went was was a really big thing, and we ended up hitting that that three hundred five in uh, in training, um, which tied your all time best, and it, it was pretty damn convincing, and so obviously the the goal on the day was to try to try to be right around there, um, and I mean. I don't know compared to compared to your last heavy squat. How you know now that you've fully digested everything? How how were squats feeling on the day?
0: So going through it, I was a little bit. I think I was having a lot of nerves going into squat because of my depth, and I knew that it was a strict platform. Saber. Yeah, it was. It was saber, but it was just a strict platform regardless, and it was strict both days. Um, and I think the judging was quite strict. Yeah, I uh, agree. especially it's, it's specifically with squat. So I'm like. Okay, I remember getting red lights my last competition, even though I got two white lights um, for the two lifts. And But I'm like, that's the first time I ever had a red light in my career. So the um, only other red light I had on squat was just flat out missing it. So like, okay, my squat still looked too much different, but you kind of got to go with it meet day. So after my first squat was two white lighted, and then it was actually more convincing because the fact that the center judge gave me a red, I'm like, I think I'm good. Yeah, I don't yourself. even I don't know how that helps your confidence because actually you should totally hurt it because you there's no guar- there's no guarantee you're getting it from the the center and you should always potentially get it from the center so it's like oh okay so but I I was I was just all right whatever we're getting our two white lights called just do the thing but um squat felt a little bit off balance for the first two and I think it was because I put the right upright in. Yeah,
1: I, I agree.
0: And I don't know how that changes things. And I sometimes do that in competition. If I do start clipping the rack, and I know what happens when I clip the rack too hard, I can really just turn a RP eight squat to an RP ten squat. So I'm like, I just feel off balance on my right side, and it's weird. And it's coming up with the weight too. It's not going down to the hole. So I just move that upright out. And the third squat to me was the easiest of all of them. And I think I could have did 307 for the day. Cause if I had to push through it and fight, um, yeah, I think my top end that day was 307 and a half and yeah, I, um, squats felt good. I saw the mislifts that happened and I am like, okay, if you actually hit the squats, you're, you could possibly win this meet on your second attempt. Um, yeah. And I hit that third squat, and then I almost got kicked out of the meet. Uh, because oh, yeah. I. I forgot about I, that. Yeah, uh, I yeeted my belt across the room in joy, not anger like everyone else thought. I. Asher and the hell out of my belt. Um, and forgot I did it. I forgot I did it. I heard two guys talk about it. Like, and Tiger's like, you see Angelo just chuck his belt across the room? And then I'm like, oh yeah. Because I, I, I went to the bathroom right after that, and I was happy. I was pumped. Me like, too. I almost celebrated my meet too early. Um, and we'll get to why that almost was too early in the next lift. But then a USAPL official came over and said, like, Angelo, next time you do that, you're gone. You're done. And I'm like, understood. That is totally fair. <laughs> and I went to go apologize to them. like, guys, I'm sorry. I'm like, I, I was happy. And they're like, You were happy? It seemed like you were very, very mad about something. I'm like, nope, I was happy. I'm like, when I'm mad about something, I actually just like slouch off the platform and just shake my head and just have a really pissy look on my face. When I'm happy, I guess I'm pissy look, anger look. Because that's what they said, like your face was very angry looking. And you looked very aggressive. I'm like, I'm sorry, I was just happy. I won't it again. I won't I won't throw my belts across the room again, trust me. I would call you
1: animated. That yeah. would be the the way I would describe it. But yeah, like from from the coaching perspective during that time too, um obviously like I agree with you, I, there there were some some technical hiccups that were happening on your part that made me go, okay. 305 like especially going into your seconds i'm like if he nails this because originally we were thinking like 307 you were,
0: you were kind of telling me 30 you were you and matt were like 305 307 yeah and i'm like sean missed his and christmas his, so it's like let's go 302 get a pr and yeah and we'll still be working with what is it five kilos better than previous nationals yeah so if we're working five kilos previous nationals we're in a really good position. Yeah, and that was what
1: ultimately, like, made that decision. And that's that's one of the things about, like, game day coaching is you you do, as early as squats, you do need to at least pay some attention to what's going on in the field. Maybe not necessarily the exact numbers, but it can help a lot if you're really paying attention to the potential that the other athletes have on the day. Because if, if I can put you, as somebody who has a strong deadlift, in a position where you can just conserve energy for that, then that's going to pay off like dividends. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being a being a great call. And I agree with you. I think you you corrected everything on the day. Um, and I think from now on, you know, if if you truly want to be in that position where you're taking the rack in like that, it uh it needs to be something that we're just consistently doing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm really happy. This is this is the first time, I think, ever that well, not ever, but in a while that I've been very happy with how your squat. Was on meat day. Um, I think when we hit what two ninety seven in Daytona, is that right? Yeah. I think that that was kind of the last one where I was like, okay, squats are very consistent. And then we just kind of had this period of time, partially because of the injury, where things just didn't end up the greatest. And I'm just I'm glad that it worked out the yeah, way it Yeah, for sure. Like,
0: Hitting a PR, especially coming off of an injury, is good. Um, happened twice technically after we started working with John. Right. Uh, Three hundred kilos at the Grand Prix right um that was kind of while i was battling a hip slash knee pain that he kind of got us through so maybe that's the formula i don't know just getting hurt before a meet but uh <laughs> let's uh, yeah. not from my mental uh, yeah. that's, mental uh, health let's yeah not do that, no, but it, it was a very because i did feel really locked in on squat that day it was more so just what what's the call gonna be if i have to sink a little bit lower we might have to settle with another 297 or 300 kilo squat but you know, getting those first two, and I thought I was able to get a little bit lower. My um, third, I actually heard Saber say, I, "I, I, could be totally mistaken because I don't remember stuff on the platform." But I think he looked. He's like he sunk that. I'm like, if I, if he, if he agrees that I got depth, I'm like, I should never get a red light call in my life. Yeah, there, so, you, there
1: you go. Advanced coaching tip, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Know, know the referees that are on the yeah. platform. Oh yeah, and
0: no, that was, and they got yeah. No, and that's guys. We're going to other sports here and talk about that you're in baseball, know the umpire's first name, know how to talk to them, know how to, know how to address them because it helps. Like it, that, that kind of stuff helps. And yeah, that was the talk in the back was, you know, savers, savers on the right side, looking at depth.
1: Yep. He's, he's very famously strict on depth. So it's, it's good to, to know that. Um, but yeah, going forward, I, I think the the big thing is, is we're just going to continue with that formula and, and, continue to try to push the, the two days, um, you know, low to moderate repetitions, and we're just going to milk that. I, I think one more thing as well is, is we, um, we're we not pushing your your rep work quite so hard, and I know that was a big, you know, thing that you were a little bit worried about, and I, I think this is a perfect yeah, example, good example of that working out, um, and it, it's one of those situations where, like, we knew for a fact pushing a little bit too hard is probably what got us here, and now we Kind of have a good balance of it so the goal now is is just going to this uh, this first block post nationals is to to continue to verify that that works and yeah. hopefully you know hit a, a personal best triple at the end of this block is, is what we've got planned yeah. so I'm excited for that I, I think that I think squats uh, at least so far look like they're in a really good groove and you weirdly enough you you seem to have on both days you always seem to have a good performance mm-hmm. which is a little bit unusual you usually one with any lifter, one one day is usually going to feel infinitely worse.
0: Yeah, I I do think squat does feel pretty locked in right now, um, which is good. Like, I I do feel like we're in a good groove with that lift. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, going into everybody's favorite
0: lift. Yeah, our kind of confidentials have not been great with Ben past the, like, last two, or past the first two that we had. I think the first two we hit PRs, and we're both happy about it. This one especially sings because this was easily the best prep we've ever had on bench. I know. My confidence was never higher on bench. I actually thought we can take 175 on meet day based on how 172 moved in the gym, how I moved 167, the rep work we were doing, all of it. And I think there's two things. Yeah, I, um, I, I
1: want your opinion on this because we haven't actually like truly discuss
0: this. I think there was a point, I think, just programming-wise, last two weeks where things just felt flat, and I was expressing that, and I don't know what that was. I don't know. Did, correct me if I'm wrong. Did we just not, well, at a point we didn't, like, deload bench? Or we deload it too hard or deloaded for, like, two weeks?
1: We, so going into the competition, so... You you traditionally have worked off of five week blocks. That's that's been our kind of kind of move. Um, and the big thing with this bench approach, um, we one thing that we did very differently from this one is we actually lined up the the week to be like the strong week for your block, mm-hmm. right? Um, which you know when you think about bench press, you know if anybody knows anything about powerlifting theory. Bench is kind of traditionally the lift that just doesn't taper well. You know, it, it, it's the thing that has the most volatility if you pull away too much training stress. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, this was kind of our first time really lining things up with meet day where you were just touching lighter stuff than you typically would um, leading into a competition. Like the, you know, the week out, um, sure, we ended up touching uh, – 170 for our, our last like heavy single but the other stuff as far as what you were taking throughout the week was kind of a i don't want to call it a deload but we kind of waved we had waved down yeah. and as a result of that all of the the rep work wasn't as heavy and i think especially with what i'll say we're doing going forward i think that that lack of heavy exposure ultimately is what Led to bench kind of feeling so flat those last two weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean that, that could be it. Yeah, especially the last two weeks because it was there was a point like that day that I hit one sixty seven. I felt like I could hit one seventy five on a day, right. um, uh, convincingly as well. the The preview the following week, I hit one seventy two, and I was actually like, "All right, that didn't move great, right. but I'm at the like, same time, it's like it's one seventy two, like that would be a meet PR." So you got to be happy with it, and that my goal was one seventy five going into the meet. And the day of, I think because we were having some of those issues you know, the, the last two weeks where it didn't feel as confident with 170 in my hand, where I'm like, the goal should be 170 today because of the mislifts. Right. Um, because, you know, we're not talking about too much off the total. If I hit 165 in my second attempt, that means, you know, we're... We're looking at the same total. We're still looking at a better total from previous nationals, which I won, and we have the biggest deadlift. Right. So we have all these things kind of working our advantage here. But on day, still, even with saying this, I thought 165 moved well, and I was pretty damn confident with 170.
1: I I mean, I was too. It, I, never never on bench. Do you do you typically tell me a number? You, yeah. You usually don't say anything. So when you were like one seventy, I'm like, all right, sweet, load it up. No yeah, problem.
0: I felt good with that. I was, I even felt good getting it off the rack. Yeah, and I'm, and then I think this is something that I was doing uh, occasionally in prep. Not often though. This is me. The, the, like when we're talking about like I I think programming we we still always have to work on. But I just tempoed it for no reason, yep. and the execution was just, just just horrible. Because as soon as it was going down, I'm like, "You missed it! Like you absolutely messed up that bench." Um, I think I could have I think I could have grinded it out if I just dive bombed it into my chest. Yeah. just based on. I mean, that's not what I wanted to do, but that's how that's how it felt in my hand, where I could just mess up a little bit on technique. But I tempoed it down for no reason and I immediately got out of position and I'm like, uh, oh, you just I'm like if you hit that, then I and then I win on second attempt. Yeah. I think I win on second attempt because I thought it was going to cause Chris and um Sean to overreach. And I thought I could probably wrap up like a eight twenty total on my second attempt, walk away with a nice PR and have a lot of room to play with where I could be in that 830 range potentially. Right. Um, and then after that bench, I'm like, nope, you just turned it into a competition. You could still be in the 830 range, but it's going to be a lot harder because I have to deadlift more. Yeah. Um. I was mad at myself with that one in particular, nothing else really. Yeah. Nothing else really to look at.
1: Yeah. I mean, so just a couple of things there. One, Yes, I, I agree with you that like kind of tempoing had been sort of a recurring problem on some of our, our heaviest lifts. And I, I, I can recall saying to you multiple times and I, I have it written in your notes here that I was cueing you multiple times throughout prep, like, hey, be a, be a little bit more aggressive taking it down to your chest because you, you typically do well when you, and we really yeah. noticed that a lot this prep, that you typically do well when you have a faster eccentric, not necessarily like dive bombing it, but if you tempo it too much, it doesn't end up helping you Yeah. where some lifters, they they get a little bit more out of that. But for you in particular, if you have a, we'll call it a a fast yet controlled eccentric, that's typically when you press best. Um, And I mean, we in in between now and the Arnold, we really kind of solidified the formula that typically produces good results for you as far as like, once we accumulate enough, you, you, you're typically strong at the end of a, a, a mesocycle. Um, the one big thing that I think, I don't know if you remember we changed this, but the big thing was your priming session. That yeah. was a, a big thing that we changed. So before your priming session wasn't really a lot of volume, and especially as somebody who is thinking a lot about his bench press, I, I kind of went back and I looked at some of our more successful ones, and the thing that I came away with was Angelo just does better when I give him a million sets. And, you know, particularly for the priming session, that was something that I hadn't really done for you in a while. And as soon as we put that in, things started to groove a little bit better. Yeah. So
0: I, I don't know how to articulate this, but it feels like, especially with a priming session, like we do that tempo. Right. Right. And like I, I was able to tempo, I think at a point like 157 mm-hmm. um, for like a five second tempo or something. Yep. And... It does feel like, I guess, something that's commonly occurring. Because I think the last prep that we had, um, the Arnold uh, bench, I mean, we tied our meet PR. Uh, right. I mean, it was an all-out grinder, but we we, we tied our meet PR, and I think it was some good signs going forward. Yeah,
1: that was discovering yeah. the formula. This was about solidifying. Yeah,
0: and I. but even with that prep, too, it felt like that last week... I was having a little more struggle with some of those workout days where, like, the previous two weeks, things were good. I don't know how to, like, get those, like, the weeks prior and then just translate that over to, like, the week of a meet. Because I the, the, the confidence that I had about three weeks out of my bench, like, man, if I could just take that and then – or just the way that things move and put that into meet week – I think we are at a 172 175 range, and the goal is to hit it comfortably, not really grinding it. Like if I could 175, I even with that, I think we're in a good position to to really compete with people.
1: Yeah, and I, I, see, that's the the part that had me racking my brain a little bit was we lined everything up this meet. You know, like the the in my head, the the thing that I, I thought was was really an issue before was okay. We've kind of run a taper traditionally and you know maybe that's that volatility is what's what's killing him. But we lined everything up this time and it still didn't quite work and that's what brings me to the conclusion that we just we need more heavy exposure like you just you you need that exposure consistently um, and we kind of decided that mark for you is around 160. So now, In your current block, the thing that we're doing is is we're just touching 160 consistently. There was one week where um, the the singles that you have in there were a little bit less, just to kind of get used to training again. And then the four main weeks of your five week block, we have, um, which we call we have 160 in there twice. And I would, I mean, mind you, we're only on week two, but I, I think that it's. It's paying off so far.
0: Yeah, I, th- yeah, I think we got to touch a little bit more. But one thing I will note, and I'm, and I'm bringing this up because of, like, the workouts I've been having today and this week. Um, e- like, for the Nationals prep, my weighted dips, too. Felt so good. And I was able to add weight, and I felt like, man, I can – At first, I was, like, two two 245s and a 25. That would be kind of like my RP8-ish with uh, maybe from, like, a rep range of 8 to 10. Mm-hmm. Then I started, like – I It feels easy. I'm like, I can go up to three plates now, and like I was starting to make that move with my RP8. Like, my upper body strength was getting a lot better. Um, But, yeah, like, now, because I think coming off their meat, like, it's still kind of, like, getting back up there where I can feel, like, we're we're not quite too... I'm easily moving three plates again. Um, But it was... A lot of things were going good. But one... And also the other thing I want to mention is... There was kind of that little bit of a dip in bench once my squat started to increase mm-hmm. dramatically. So I think, and that I think that caused some bench struggles when we were actually grooving pretty well on bench for our first four reps together. Yeah, uh, we were because I started off like a one fifty seven bench when I started working with you, and we got up to one seventy pretty quickly. Yeah. So we were making progress there, and I think once it stopped was when I, my squat <laughs> went up from 270 to 300. Right. So, yeah. And I think, I think now the,
1: the biggest thing that I want to see besides this, this heavy exposure is I, I really want us pushing that rep work a little bit yeah. harder. You know, I, I think that because I, I look back, there's a very specific week in your training. It was, it was a very specific week five, the end of your, Block before the meat block, where bench just kind of lined up perfectly. It was it was that one sixty seven and one seventy two, um, and in particular the qualities of those those two weeks, all of your rep work was in PR territory, right? So my goal with every block going forward is ideally within you know the last week, ideally two weeks, we're in that range where we're touching. Some kind of personal best, whether it's, like, your ability, meaning you're doing weight easier, or ideally, you know, we're hitting some some personal bests on all of that rep work. I mean, I'm, I'm tracking that very, very closely. Not like I didn't before, but it, now that we're in this position where everything's kind of lining up to be where you can be pushing that work, I almost want that a little, especially now where we're far out from competition, I almost want that a little bit more than I do, like, the top end. You know, like, I'm, I'm okay if the top end's still a little... Low, and that's kind of why we're, um, which call That's kind of why we're almost rerunning um, the top end work uh, on your main day compared to like some previous blocks. Um, I'm just hoping if we can get in that rhythm of, of establishing um, PRs on you know your your secondary and primary days on on the actual volume work that that's going to translate to the top end. And let's face it, man you with a you with a 180 bench, I think is just unbeatable. Yeah, you know? I
0: think. I think we, yeah, and that's kind of, I I felt the confidence getting there towards a one seventy five to one eighty bench on this prep. Like I, weight felt light, Rep. like it, it really did feel light. Rep work felt light, and I was super confident going into, uh, my final block. I think the confidence kind of got stalled there a little bit, but, yeah, that but that's always that's been the case since about twenty twenty one, you know, even when we projected we propelled ourselves from not being in the top 10 um 2019 to being podium people were like if you just bench 400 pounds you'll win so they make it sound so easy yeah. but yeah um yeah it's been it's been the story of my powerlifting career just at the bench more but luckily didn't really it didn't really matter yeah. And honestly, I'm not saying that to be arrogant. It really didn't matter because we had some mislifts. Right. Um, we do have that deadlift and going into deadlifts, it was all right, well, you know, you made it a competition again. You know, if you would have hit that lift, it would have been much harder for people to beat you. But you still got a deadlift. And I mean, it, it's funny, it was actually the least eventful out of all the lifts, I think, because at least for me because it was we're just gonna take it similar to what we took at Nationals um, there was a few things I was I was feeling on the platform where my hips were shooting up a little bit early and I think we need more time to do the new technique we've been doing which is like that you know hip hinging into the bar really slow and kind of taking a slower slack pull and um, not being as jerky with the bar as we were because I think that was leading to injury and I don't want to get hurt again yeah. um, so we got to figure out how to make that be an effective deadlift but yeah um, hit the first two and I'm just sitting there getting ready for my third and then when he said two and a half kilos I'm like just don't blow it <laughs> Yeah, I just mean- don't do something really stupid here and this should be really really easy and then once I felt the bar I'm like I won. Like, I, I won this meet. Which, I mean, dude, super, super cool. I mean, I would have
1: liked it to be in a little bit more dramatic fashion. I think we, yeah. we both would have. No, I mean, it, it, um, yeah. But, I mean, dude, it, it was so cool. Like, obviously, Austin was competing then, too. And let's face it, as long as Austin doesn't have a major slip up, like, that was expected. But, yeah. like, you know, with the the depth of field in your class, it's it's – it wasn't a guarantee, and I mean, I, I, I said this to you, I was, I was emotional as hell, like, I, I, I was so just over the moon that night, and, uh, hell, I'm getting emotional now just thinking about it. it, it was truly the highlight of my coaching career to, to be able to, you know, get to start working with you, you know, so long ago, and, and seeing you literally just progress linearly up to the point of, of winning the national championships, it's, I don't know. It was it was really surreal, just seeing you go out there, and it, it, I don't know. It almost kind of felt like a like a victory lap moment. You it, know what I mean? Yeah,
0: that's that's kind of yeah, that's kind of the the what I felt there too. Um, was you know, I got I I tried to take my time with it, but at the same time, like I I knew I got to contain my emotions because it was expected a successful attempt like it wasn't yeah. a long, like there wasn't, le, there wasn't last year nationals at Vegas that was not expected like we were not thinking in the range of 790 and you know or 788 or whatever or 787 um, we were not thinking that range and I had to pull it and that's where it was a surprise and it was it was it was a great moment there but 347 yeah I mean you know, I was not expecting to hit that going into the meet and making a two and a half kilo jump ever in my powerlifting career on deadlift is something I didn't think I would have to do. And Same. yeah, it felt, it, it did feel a little bit more safe. Um, I still had the thing of just don't blow it, don't somehow mess this up or lose balance at the top, even though I never have. I actually did take it slower just to make sure I had my grip. right? Um, and yeah, it, it did feel like I got to enjoy my moment and... It did have like this nice little cap to the entire prep where it was a lot of doubt. It was me thinking about pulling out of the meets. And in actuality, I had the least difficult meet of my career. Honestly. And it was, it was the least difficult meet of my career. Not saying that it was easy for me, but just saying that things fell in my favor and I usually have to pull something into a one rep max territory uh, or something I'd never pulled before and I'm pretty confident with that weight. and I didn't overextend myself at all throughout the day. felt good afterwards and I got to and fully enjoy that. Like the meat day was easy compared to pretty much every single day of the prep. Like the meat was the easy part. Um, and and I felt in that moment I also felt like you deserve this. You deserve it. You were the best lifter here today, yeah. easily, in my opinion. I was, I was the best lifter there. I hit my lifts. I was rewarded for my consistency, while you know others past issues came back to haunt them. I, I was not, and yeah, it, uh, it felt, it felt fantastic. It was the most rewarding win of my career, but. I would have had a lot more emotion if it was the the grand goal of being the best in the world at that moment. I said in the post interview like that is my goal and you know it's there's no barricade jumpings this time or excessive celebrations or jumping around because that was the goal going into the meet. <laughs> I told her the same exact thing I did at D Arnolds. I right. told Les that I did at like last year's Nationals and I and I felt like I had that PR. Total in me. Yeah, I think um, so. I, I think I think on the day I could have gotten eight twenty five, which I've would been very happy with, even though it would have been short of my goal. That would have been just icing on top of the cake if I was able to PR my total. Um Yeah, I really I got really got to relish in that moment.
1: Yeah, and again, dude, just un- unbelievably proud of of just going from being unable to to lift one to two reds on squat and deadlift to to winning. I mean, it it just goes to show you, you, like, you really put your mind to it, and you, you flip the switch, and it, it paid off, and I'm, I'm so unbelievably proud, I'm sure I speak for John, you know, he, he would say the exact same thing, Um, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, like, genuinely seeing, seeing all that happen, most, most rewarding experience of my coaching career, and something that I'll, I'll never forget.
0: Yeah, and that, and that was the most rewarding victory of my career and we had we, we've had a lot of good moments. obviously that would be at the top because it was it was a win and um, that was still the one thing we never really had yeah together. It's always been just great performances but second place third place wins or records yeah uh, which is all awesome. Uh, I'm not gonna lie and that's something that would put you at the upper echelon of the sport is breaking records and having good performances even though they're not number one. But I got to just recollect at the – just think about my first Nationals where it's very funny. You were still in the background of my first pull at Nationals. It's always the <laughs> same camera angle. It's yeah. the side camera angle where you can see the coach kind of in the back. So you're still in it, and that's the only time you've seen me miss a third attempt at Nationals yeah. was the time you were technically not coaching me, but you made that attempt – Selection for me, or I guess our, the beginning of our relationship at 2019, I told you to call out my last number because I I don't know. I didn't care either. Just whatever you want to load on there, load on there. And going back that night and watching primetime and looking at the guys competing, and I remember, one, it just being a really awesome primetime in spite of all lifters underperforming. Uh, at that twenty nineteen, it was it was actually a terrible meet. Um, but in that in that in that moment where I was seeing all the guys miss their lifts, I had the thought: I'm like, I'm I'm as good as these guys. Right. I'm like, I actually think I'm better than a lot of them. Like, I I need something to get me to that point where I'm competing with these guys because I'm looking at their technique. I'm like, I my technique's better. And I'm like, I could deadlift more. I know my bench sucks, but and I know my squats out there, but I'm like, I my squat at least looks better than theirs. And there was really only one person who I'm like, well, I don't think on a good day I could beat him. That was Russ. Like I just didn't think just based on his terrible meets he had that day, he was still so much better than everyone else. And that was it was pretty much within that moment that I needed a coach and it happened. I got into that stage immediately where I was better than a lot of the guys that um, I was watching that day and have only made slow, slow. I mean, I don't even know to call it slow. I think they are pretty fast mo- movements to the top or yeah. too close to close to the top. It's been just one year after the other of slowly climbing up the rankings and taking our accolades. Um, I know it wasn't the 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 full fledged eighty two and a half, and I know this, and that's why I'm not considering myself the best in the nation right now. But it was still a huge victory that a lot of the guys who I who I looked up to going to sport. I have a thing where I, I'm I'm not just better than you on certain days. I'm better than you on multiple days, and I think I'm a better lifter. And all those guys were so far ahead of me in 2019. And within one year, I got ahead of them or to the point or ahead of them. so, and that's been been a good feeling.
1: yeah, man. and I, I, I think it's I think it's still onward and upward, you know I, I I really do think like we're still slowly discovering things about your training. And maybe it's not even just discovery. Maybe it's just you're evolving as a as a lifter in terms of what you need to be be better. Um, but I, I still think there's, there's things we can do better. Like, obviously, like I just talked about squat and bench going forward. We discussed, like, bringing back in high rep deadlifts, um, which I think, you know, have kind of always been a staple of your secondary days that we had to take away for your back to feel a little bit better. And now that we're back to doing them, I think we're already kind of grooving deadlifts a little bit better um, as a result of that and again I think that speaks to the larger picture of there's there's still more to be done as far as what I know you want in your career yep and uh I'm just I'm happy to be along for the ride man yes yeah. it's, it's a a true honor
0: yep that would that would that would cap it off and I always kind of look that I've been very fortunate and things has happened to me throughout my life and it's always like uh it's always held off a little bit so I'm hoping that this continues, and you know it's like I know it wasn't supposed to be at this nationals. You're you got your goal, but the actual, the actual ultimate prize that you've been wanting is going to be at another meet, and it's going to mean a lot more. So, you yeah, know maybe maybe the stage just hasn't been set yet for it to happen, but we're closer than we've ever been, and like I like I said to multiple people. We're as close as we ever been, but it seems like I'm so far away now. But now it's is is gonna be set, and it feels like I actually am close to it now. Oh yeah, um, dude.
1: I think as cool as it would have been to total something like in that range, I think it's gonna be so much cooler doing it head to head against those people that you you want to go against. No matter no matter where you end up. Yeah. In general. Well,
0: <laughs> this, yeah, this is what I is going back to the Powerlifting America USAPL talk. I'm like, if I can go and hit my absolute goal total, that will put me in the best in the world for a time being, and I can consider myself the best in the world. And I got ten thousand dollars on top of that. It's gonna make things pretty sweet too. And I honestly, I Rust is a fantastic competitor. Delaney is a fantastic competitor. Gruden's a fantastic competitor. Sean's a fantastic competitor. All these guys, Chris Lucky all these guys they're not quite worth $10,000 though. I'm I'm going to I'm going to say that right now. Oh uh yeah. they're, they they <laughs> if you give me if you give me the option of Russ or he $10,000, I'm like I know my girlfriend would be really pissed off at me if I didn't say $10,000. Yeah, $10,000 <laughs> is good. I I would like that or anything above that, but um it would be better with that head-to-head head competition though, for sure. Um it would be better to do it against Russ. Um Especially because, yeah, it just that was that was always the guy who I thought was untouchable, and right now I still consider him to be pretty far ahead of me. Um, But it it would be It, it would be a great win to cap it off with a win against the actual true best in the world, and it wouldn't be any debate. Cause I, still, I mean, I still think after this meet, if I would have done it, um, I would have done it. It would have been debate still, which would have been cool, but but um, Perk did it instead, so <laughs> that was good. Hey, here's a take for you. Why doesn't Russ go down to seventy <laughs> five? <laughs> <laughs> oh my
1: god! Did you imagine? Yeah,
0: I don't, I don't. I this is? Yeah, this is a this is a two white lights take right now. But I just thought about that. We're talking so much about Perk going up. He's like, no, it's like you guys think that I'm going to – no, Russ, Perk did it at 75 kilos. you got to go down and beat him at 75. <laughs> like, hey, if Perk's going to go up. You should go down. That's how it works, right? <laughs> I, I do
1: I do recall Russ once saying, like, when he was going to compete in bodybuilding. Oh, yeah, he
0: was going to compete at 75. Yeah, yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I remember that too. But, no, I'm just saying, like – you know, I mean, even if I total eight thirty-eight or eight forty-two or whatever the the actual record is, I I would I would consider eight forty-two um, to kind of be my total there. It's still ten kilos below Perk. Yeah, you got you got a total so, got a total 50, So yeah, I mean, it's my five. weight class, but you know, at the same time, he can have that at seventy-five kilos. But if I'm gonna beat Perk. It has to be at seventy-five kilos. It's not yeah, gonna be at Yeah, I guess, and so. and half, I guess so. I guess so. Because he did it. He did it such lighter. But yeah, that's my take. Everyone's everyone's always saying. Because that one didn't beat Russ's total, yeah. it did. So that's very uh, true. Yeah, everyone's saying these lifters should go up. No, other lifters should go down. just go down a weight class. That'll yeah. be the day. That'll be funny. But um, yeah, it just just against. Us, I, I mean, and we, we live for those battles too, right? Oh yeah. Um, I know I brought up earlier that, um, being okay with coming short of your goal is something that I had to kind of learn. but at, at the end of the day, that's what I live for. I is competing against those guys and the, just the at the feel of the intensity, the 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 tension and the joy of competing in, in that environment. So yeah, it's uh something that is gonna eventually happen where where I'm where uh where, where I where I just can't stay away from it for too long. Yeah. Um could be sooner rather than later. Who knows, but yeah, it would be a it would be a really good way to cap it off.
1: Yeah. And I I have faith that we'll be ready, man. Like I I said um this, you know, in particular <laughs> we we really put together something kind of quickly at the the last minute as you got healthy and I think this injury ended up teaching us so much about you as a, a lifter that I think is going to pay dividends. You know, I, of course, I think we would both have it, you know, that you never went through it. Yeah. But, you know. if No, if, if I mean,
0: honestly, at this point, it is arguably – it could be a sliding doors moment in my powerlifting career. Like, there's yeah. a lot of those, right? Yeah. Um. Like, that. I mean, I always put, like, getting you as a coach is a sliding doors moment because – it totally could not have been to you. Totally could have been something else. And it's like with some of the other I didn't know many coaches in powerlifting. Right. It would I have coaches who I trust and I have coaches who I who and there's a lot of them now, but it like I and I said on other podcasts, it was either like I didn't know Steve at all, mm-hmm. didn't know Marcellus, didn't know Brad, didn't know the guys I'm close with. But then also the only other guys I knew I just completely negated. I'm like, well, Matt Cronin, no, he competes in my weight class, so he's just totally not gonna coach me. Right. Um, and then the other guy was Garrett Fear, which I'm sure he can do a g- good job with me, but you know he doesn't have the career as a coach as you do and as other people do, and that was about it. So yeah, it's it's just it's a it's a sliding doors moment and. I think this in, this injury could be one of those too because you know we could build off that we could learn a lot of stuff about us and we have a, like we've been saying throughout the entire uh, podcast just a different mindset going in where um that could have been hurting me like it's good to to hold yourself to a high standard but that possibly could have been hurting me and holding me back yeah who knows yeah. And I
1: I, do, I really like I even see it now in just the way that you talk about your your lifting, you know. You you are I would say less emotionally attached when things aren't aren't perfect and you're don't get me wrong, you're analytical in a way that's productive and you're not necessarily like, you know, just letting something slide if it doesn't feel right, but it's it's less so like disappointment in yourself and more just hey, this wasn't quite right. And you know what can we do to fix it? Or this is what I th- I think versus you know carrying a little bit of disappointment if something isn't quite right, or carrying a little bit bit of disappointment if if something isn't uh, as fast. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that you know that's something that a lot of a lot of lifters never learn over the course of their career. You know,
0: yeah. well, I mean, the guy that I I mean I've I've clearly grown to admire after the past like couple of years has been Perk, and he's a guy who who seems to just always have confidence in himself in spite of lifts possibly not going very well. Um, And that's, like, it just worked out pretty well for him. And also, like, I've taken a lot of other lifters, and you have a more of appreciation for lifters because I think Perk is one of them because I know he came back from that hernia and Mm -hmm. was able to do some big things. Uh, Petrie. Petrie is another one, too, because I've, I've lifted with him, and he's been in a lot of pain before. And he just picks himself up and goes right back after it. And he's, he I like uh, when he tells me a situation. And I see him like, well, all right, like that sounds scary and and kind of daunting if that went through me. But he's able to pick himself up within a day or two and get back in the gym and like, you know, like nothing ever happened, which I'm God, that's that's very that's that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, Gavin Aiden. Is another one where I'm like, I, I know he was hurt for a while and he had, and he's got a lot of setbacks as in competition as well. Um, and it's just always seemed to be calls. Right. And it's, and he always just seems to bounce back from them and able to hit his, hit his lifts and, um, put himself in that position to, on, on big stages. So like you gain more of an appreciation for lifters as uh you know, a, as you experience the same things they did.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, again, I think that's why ultimately in powerlifting, sure, you'll see a, a lot of very strong juniors, maybe even some outliers that, you know, are, are able to best the the strongest lifters at the time. But nothing beats experience mm-hmm. a, as far as really being able to put it all together on the day.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, all right. That'll do it. Two hours in, Coach Calling Confidential. It's been a while, and um, had to do this one because yeah, we won nationals. So,
1: well, I mean, I I'd like to think that we'll continue to yeah do do them consistently, man. Uh, you know, I I just gotta make sure I'm able to drive drive up here. Well, same
0: thing, or me go up to Austin. But even like this, yeah, life has been very busy. I I know for the both of us, yeah, too, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been it's been much more difficult just to record two white lights now, um, just on a regular week to week basis because I I legitimately only get one, one day. Right. Uh, made exception to this one, but it is ten fifty one at night, so that's the exception we had to make. Was yeah. had to had to go get a bus driver's certification. Didn't get it yet. I had to go two more classes, but yeah, bus driver certification today had to lift right after, and this is the only time to actually do it. So. I'm ready to enjoy my weekend in about nine minutes. Yeah. I'm going to go to Kirby's Ice House. So,
1: <laughs> be, be a good time. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Peace.